This is the MFG cast. everybody kurt here you know it's just it's it's a lot of fun to have lots of guests on and boy it gets exhausting i'll tell you what i it now i'm gonna peel back the curtain a little bit so i wanted to ha- i wanted i actually scheduled a lot of stuff in november because i wanted to have december off because december when it gets to that like my job i work in retail it's a lot of lot of people, a lot of germs. I get sick all the time. Like, believe me, I wish I could tell you that. I just that didn't happen, but that happens so much. You can only do so much hand washing and just protecting yourself, but you're it's gonna happen. So I like to try to look ahead, you know, and try to you know kind of get past that. But I'm gonna I tell you what, even though it's been tiring, it's been a ton of fun. We've had lots of awesome guests on. And this episode is not going to be any different. Um, we're going to be talking to Schoon and Jess from Legacy of Play. Thanks for coming on. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. You bet. So before we get into, you know, what Legacy of Play is, um, I, I always like to ask people how they got into gaming. And now I'm, gonna try to, I'm trying to put a little bit of a twist on it because I feel like every podcast does that. Like, ooh, what'd you play? Like, oh, I played Sorry back when I was two and I, I got hooked. You know, that kind of thing. No one ever talks like that, by the way. I don't know who that was. But, I can um, do that if you want. Oh, cool. I can't wait. Please uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I wanted to ask you two, like, what was the board game that, like the hobby board game that really got you hooked into it? So we were actually talking about this just yesterday. I actually have a different story of I didn't play board games at all growing up. Mm -hmm. I even up until a year ago still said I hated board games. (laughs) Wow. Uh, That's quite the turnaround. Yeah. Uh, But then he started designing games and he created one specifically for me. And so I told him that we should... It's not published yet, so whenever it does get published, I feel like we should put a disclaimer on there that it's like a real gateway game because it can take somebody from hating games to designing games in a year, so it's a dangerous game. (laughs) I I love that because that just writes itself. You know, you can just put your own thing, you're going to put your own uh, quote on the back. I hated gaming until Spoon made me love it. (laughs) Yeah, in my case, uh, it's funny because we have two kids, five and six, and the five-year-old is all about Pokemon cards right now. (laughs) And you look at the dates, and they remind you just how long it's been since you played Pokemon cards, because I was a kid when they came out, and that was the thing that, that first really got me hooked into thinking about mechanics. I... 
I couldn't afford them, but I had friends who had surplus. So they would pass them down to me essentially. <laughs> and then I would take them, take them out, splay them all over my floor. I'd look at the combos and I'd put together a deck that would beat my friends that had more money than I did. <laughs> and then after a little while, I, I did that for magic and then played magic for a while. Uh, eventually I wound up working in video games. So I even got a chance to try my hand at more uh, game design and game creation. And then when I wasn't, when I couldn't do video games anymore, I decided I didn't need another reason to look at a screen. So I was going to do all tabletop games. And it was with as little computer involvement as possible, which maybe is ironic because of the kinds of games we're making today. But it was at least a really good way to get started. That's awesome. When I research you guys and I go on your, I go on your website and your mission statement for backup, for lack of a better term is uh, play should connect us game should shape us tech should follow suit so you know as we're getting into more technology things like everything's technology now it's just you know it it it, it hasn't quite gotten too far into board games there are some like apps that help and you know there are some games that you could play and some are really awesome some are like oh, i wish you would have done better but like you know what why did you decide that the two should be connected so I guess there's a couple different reasons. So the most, maybe the most obvious is it's the skills that we have. We both come from a background working in technology companies. We both have experience in game design. But then on top of that, I guess there's a, there's a couple different angles. So we started building an app for board game cafes and pubs. And that was what got us into the app side of things. And in parallel, like she mentioned, I made this game for her. We started making a game together. And increasingly, the conversation as we're looking at game three or game four or game five is, well, you could get an app to do that. Oh, we could use an app for this and then it takes the load off the player or use an app for that and it gives us new possibilities. And that conversation just kept coming up again and again and again. But especially over the summer, we did a real deep dive on what was possible Mm -hmm. And what, what was possible, especially given some constraints. And our primary constraints were, you need both. We really didn't want to make a mobile game. And we did not want to, you know, by definition, we want a tabletop game. And we want a mobile app or some other piece of technology. And the game should be better because both are involved. Mm -hmm. And not get better if you take one or the other away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that idea. So... I kind of want to re rewind a little bit just because I'm curious. I want, to, I want to ask you just like when you got into the gaming part of it because he made that game, what, what hooked you on it? Was it something where you were like, did you see all of, you know, what went into making a game? And you were like, this is, this is kind of fun that, you know, it's a, it's a way to kind of work your brain in a different direction where you're kind of doing things you wouldn't not normally do, I guess, on a normal basis. So that game got me to the point where I would enjoy playing some games. I would give that caveat. <laughs> uh, I still wasn't, I wouldn't have considered myself a gamer still at that point. Mm -hmm. But then at Unpub this year, he designed a game and he wanted me to help play test it before it went to Unpub mm -hmm. because he may have designed it on the airplane on the way there. <laughs> but so I play tested it and I was like your game sucks right now you need to take this away this away this way and add that and maybe try it this way and so he did that 
And he's like, oh, wait, this is actually better. You're now my co-designer. <laughs> and so I sat at the table at Unpub with him and I was like, oh, these, these are my people. So it, I'm very people motivated. And so I design board games so that I can be with the people that are in the board game world. <laughs> and because I have gotten on the backside of seeing how the games are made, that, yes, is how I now would consider myself a gamer and really enjoy games. I'm still not a, like, scythe-level gamer. Mm-hmm. I have a five- and a six-year-old, and I don't have that many leftover brain cells. <laughs> but... Yeah, I hear you. I'm sure you. it's a great game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you don't you don't have to qualify it either. I feel I feel like uh, in the board gaming industry now, I feel I feel like a lot of people are trying to do that. Like, well, you know, I you know I don't really play this, and I I like to play this, and it's like you don't have to qualify yourself. You know, as as long as you like playing board games, like who cares what level you're at? You know, like me, like I love playing games. I suck at a lot of them. I'm going to be flat. I suck at a lot of them, but you know, it's still, it's just, sometimes it's just fun to just dig in and, you know, see what you can do. And sometimes I think that board games are kind of like math. Sometimes it's like, sometimes you know it and you're like, Oh, I can, I can really see this. And sometimes it's like, (laughs) it's like somebody speaking another language to you. You know, it's, it's like um, the other day, my son who's nine, he came and talked to me and he's like, yeah, what is this? And I forget what he even, even asked me. I, it was something this morning, actually, I think. He's like, what is this? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, he's nine, and he's way past where I was when he was nine, you know? So, you know, I think with, with board games, I think it doesn't really matter where you're at. It's just sometimes it's just fun to, to go on the ride. And sometimes I feel like even with board games, you even learn some things, which is, which is pretty cool in itself. Totally. Yeah. What is the game that you, that are you, that you're developing right now that you have with the technology that you're like, you know, these things need to be mutually exclusive together. And, you know, how does that kind of work out where they both, you know, are awesome to be together and work as one? Sure. So the current game we're working on, the working title is The Philosopher's Throne. And so you are a group of people trying to become the grand philosopher and unlock the meaning of the universe. And you know that there's a secret rule to how things work in the universe. So there's a shared deck of cards in the middle, and they have different symbols on them, from elemental symbols to days versus day versus night. But they'll have different zodiac signs on the tops of the cards and there's a phone running an app in the middle of the table and it has a secret rule it's established that you play a day card then a night card then a day card then a night card that'd be a very simple rule that the phone could have come up with and going around the table in turn you play a card and you say whether you think it's going to be a correct or incorrect next card in the sequence And based on how well you're playing that part of the game, your hand will get smaller or stay as large as it was initially. At some point, you can declare that you're going to take the position of Grand Philosopher. You're hoping to score more points by doing so. But now you're really on the hook because you say before the phone does whether something is correct and incorrect. And for as long as you can keep that up, you keep these extra points. And the moment you are incorrect, Uh, the moment you and the phone are out of sync, right? And you don't understand the secret rule enough to do what the phone is doing, 
you lose a considerable number of points, right? And so it's the risk reward of, have I actually intuited what this rule is or have I, have I gone too quickly, jumped in too quickly and I, I missed some of the details? Wow. So it's definitely in the lineage of games like Eleusis or Zendo, which have these deduction components. Actually, I just played a game called Rising 5, which is, both has deduction and has a mobile app. And Gray Fox did a great job with that. Ours is very similar. It's more portable. And the rule is less directly... Uh, you, you don't interact with it directly. You interact with it indirectly, right? Just by playing these cards. Gotcha. So when you're when you're playing against the phone or with the phone or whatever, is it something that it's on a timer? Is it something where you're you're hitting it every time you're guessing? Yeah. So it, it'll ask every time. It just says, "Hey, show me the next card." And right now the QR codes. Or you hold the QR code underneath. It scans and then it either lights up correct. That's the next card. That is a valid next card in the sequence or incorrect and it goes orthogonal to the sequence. And then you, you place it down as appropriate, and it's the next person's turn. And if you decide that you want to take the position of the philosopher, you kind of skip your turn, but the phone doesn't care. It's just sitting there scanning and telling you whether you're correct or incorrect. It's completely indifferent to who is playing and what, whether they're scoring points or not. Nice. That's awesome. So where did, where did the idea for this game come along then? Uh, are you familiar with the folks that shut up and sit down? Yes. They have a newer video series called Card Games That Don't Suck. <laughs> and they actually they had shown this Eleusis game. And I was completely unfamiliar. Deep dive on that game, that game's history, the mathematician that designed it, the versions that came afterward. Again, Zendo, these other deduction games... BGG is great for this because you can just say, okay, what does BGG call this mechanic? Often that's the pseudo canonical term for this thing. Well, okay, mm -hmm. they've got a mechanic for deduction. Click into the deduction mechanic and just go through all of the games in the with a deduction mechanic. Some of that is useful, some of that is not, but I at least got a random sampling of what the other games were, went and looked at their rule sets, went and looked at how they came about, and... I had already been working on another design where the phone was trying to get you to sequence a fixed set of elements. You had maybe A, B, C. How hard would it be for the phone to guide you to put them in a particular order given a basic language? Mm -hmm. We don't have to get into that. That one was incredibly nerdy. And it turns out really hard to actually do mathed it out and realized you don't need too many elements before it becomes impossible. So... Mm -hmm. It wasn't what I was hoping for. And then just this deductive element unlocked the keys that I needed. It unlocked the door I needed to finish that design. And that became this Philosopher's Throne concept. Nice. And that was, once I knew I actually had something, that was at least for this one where I pulled Jess in and said, okay, you got to help me make this work. And so uh, <laughs> I figured out it's possible. Help me make it fun. And He's so really good at mechanics. I'm really good at theme. Oh, that's good. That's good. That makes it that makes it good for a good mix. Because I, you know, I feel like sometimes when you're when you're when you're thinking of something, it it always seems to sometimes for people go one way. So it's nice that you can both kind of feed off of each other and you know come come to a consensus of what it needs to be. 
And often one of us is being the optimist and one of us is being the pessimist. And so that's super helpful. But I'll come in and say, all right, this sucks. Help me make it better. Or she'll go, no, this is amazing. And I start poking holes in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It goes that way 90% of the time. <laughs> that's funny. So when you guys are, <clears throat> when you're making games, like what, you know, what do you want from them? Meaning like, what experience do you want the, your players to come away with? I feel like that varies with the different games. The one that he made for me is kind of just a let's have fun and it's not too thinky. It's just laid out there and be brain dead for half an hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where the one, the turbo hoverball that we're working really hard on right now is um, more of a stress release kind of like, And by stress release, I mean tension, and then you calm down for a minute. (laughs) And then it just pulsates back and forth with that. So, And then the Philosopher's Throne is more kind of tense the whole time. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, It's like like we have enough of that in our own lives. Jeez. (laughs) I'd say another element that is definitely mechanically – we want to make games that are accessible enough that anyone could see themselves playing it, but that maybe have different aesthetics. Like Jess was talking about, some of them are super brain burners. Some of them are stressful because there's a timing element. Some of them have these periods of tension and periods of release. But all of the games we make, just as they are accessible, we want them to be accessible and approachable and to connect anybody, right? I, I want mm-hmm. anyone to feel like, even if it is puzzly, even if it is really thinky, I want every, anyone to feel like they could sit down at the table with this game in front of them, play it, enjoy it, and play it with anybody, right? I really, we really see games, you mentioned our mission statement. We spent a long time thinking about like you said, why do we do this? What is it that we want to do? And we really want to connect people. We think games are these great equalizers that even folks in our life that, you know, everyone's got these difficult relationships. What are we, what are we going to say to so-and-so? Or are we going to do with so-and-so? Man, we really should spend some time with so-and-so. And games are just a great equalizer for that. They're a great way to connect with someone that may be very different from you, maybe very difficult for you to spend time with. But for us, they've been a great way to spend that time and to connect with that person and to come away with it with a new experience with that person that probably more positive than we might have gotten <laughs> out of maybe just sitting around. Uh, we also enjoy sharing meals with people, right? watching movies, these other situations like that that we think are great for connecting people and building these shared experiences with people. Awesome. So, so this thing that you're working on, this turbo hoverball, tell me about it. Sell, sell me on this. I want like just the name alone is is intriguing enough. Turbo hoverball is the roller derby hockey on hoverboards mashup that never happened. <laughs> it is simultaneous action programming using these custom cubes. Each face of the cube is oh, I move my feet around on the board, or I spin it, or I move forward, or I kick the ball. And then you reveal your program, a la, uh, what, race for the galaxy, roll for the galaxies, like the shields, right? And then robo-rallies, I'm going to move around. 
but now you're playing a sports game. There's a ball in the middle. The other team's doing the same things, and you're trying to kick the ball into their goal just like they're trying to kick the ball into your goal. So it's played over three periods if you take it all the way to sudden death, seven rounds per period of this quick program. Like we said, lots of tension on what are we going to do, and at some point someone might flip that 30-second timer over, and we're going to have to plan this out quickly. And then once you reveal, it's about execution. It's about tactics. Okay, I know we plan we want to kick the ball here. I think we should kick it that way and not that way like we originally planned. That's awesome. So when you guys when you guys are designing these games, like what what are some of the what are some of the um, challenges that you have? You know, you're you know you you obviously you're just you know kind of starting out trying to get your legs on you know which is going to be you guys don't have a published game yet, correct? Correct. So you know what are you try what are some of these challenges that you're facing that you're like okay. You know, is it something that, you know, you're working on this one thing and you're like, okay, we have to get this perfected and we just got to keep working on it, you know, or has there been a time where you're like, okay, we think this is good enough. And then you go and you play it with somebody and then they're like, wait a minute, something's broken here. And then you go back. Like, what are some of those challenges that you guys face when you're doing these? All of the above. I mean, what you mentioned (laughs) and more. So there's a couple challenges. One one of them is that we do have we go through periods where we'll go deep on one game right so right now super deep on turbo hoverball because we're able to come up with new ideas and keep refining it and refining it and refining it if that stops we've got others in the pipeline that we'll jump onto instead and we'll work on those for a little while and so we got some really i got some really good advice early on well you know well before jess joined on and made things hundred times better to not work on one thing as your magnum opus right from the get-go, right? You mm-hmm. start small and when that starts running out of steam, switch to something else, have multiple things in the pipeline, be able to focus on one, but do work on multiple. That is our, our big strategy mm-hmm. as far as design is concerned. One of the other challenges that we've noticed recently, we were talking about this is in order to make approachable games, we want to make games that are not mechanically dense. Put it the opposite way, we wanna make games that are very mechanically light. And- Intuitive. Yeah, exactly. And when I was working in video games, these kind of emergent games, emergent was the term they kept using for this, were all the rage. And I I think there's some element of that in board games, but I don't Mm -hmm. think there's enough of that. I, th- I think there will be more. And so we've really been approaching these kind of emergent dynamics where like Hoverball, you have four identical cubes, right? And a cube has six sides. So you've got a programming language, so to speak, if we're going to use a- an academic term, with six things you can do. And I'll tell you what, there are two pairs. So it's really four things you can do. <laughs> But between the four things you can do and the four slots you can put them in, it's an explosive, expressive language for describing this sports game. And Mm -hmm. so even with just the four slots and just four options, we sat some of our gamer friends down with this 
And immediately the head goes in the hands and they're just thinking about all of this strategy. And it's not that they don't understand how the game works. They completely understand. Mm -hmm. But now they're going to spend five minutes just talking to their teammate and trying to wrap their brain around what they want to do with it. (laughs) And so it's less that the mechanics were uninviting or unintuitive, but it was that the dynamic, there's so many possibilities for them that they didn't know what they wanted to do. And that is way more the kind of problem we want people to have. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it makes for a better experience when you're, when you're, it, yeah, when your head is in the game, so to speak. Sure. So, yeah, that's awesome. So uh, one last thing I wanted to mention before, before we kind of let you guys go um, is that you also have something that you are um, in the process of making, which is BoxBot which I think is actually a very great idea. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So BoxBot's kind of my baby. Nice. Uh, I was in a, he's the software developer. Mm -hmm. uh, So he's done all the actual work to make it happen. (laughs) But I was in a job that I hated. And so he thought I should, I could learn to become a software developer. And I was like, I don't have any ideas. (laughs) So we sat down and we brainstormed. Uh, and for like 15 minutes before I went to work that day and I came up with Tinder for board games. Nice. Uh, because the thought was we had at that point, a uh, board game cafe had just opened up and I went in and this was before I played board games, mm-hmm. like any, I still thought I hated them. <laughs> so I was like, how do I go into this place that has a, thousand board games and pick something how am i like if i don't like board games how are you going to recommend something for me mm-hmm. and especially if you go in with a gr- varied group of six people some of whom are like gaia project level players along with me how are they going to be able to manage this so boxbot takes input at so the idea is it's on an ipad that the server would just hand you as if it were a menu. And you put in however many players you're going to have, how much time you have to play, the level of game you want to play, or weight of game you want to play. So using the BGG's up to five point scale. Mm -hmm. And then the youngest player. So And then the app goes through the entire inventory of the cafe to figure out which games meet only your criteria. So you, it takes a selection of 300 games or 1,000 games or however many games this place has and limits it down to maybe 15 at the, on a large size. Mm-hmm. But more likely, you're going to have like 5 to 10 just because every – and it's so in tune with what you're needing that you're more likely. And it also – it gives you the box art as well as a small description – So that way the games, it will open up for the cafes, people playing games that they're amazing games, but for some reason the box art just didn't catch people's attention. Mm -hmm. So like we ended up buying a game from this cafe during one of their sidewalk sales that is one of our favorite games. We play it all the time, but it had never been opened (laughs) just because the art didn't catch people's attention. So Mm -hmm. the theory behind BoxBot for on the cafe side is they would be able to see who's playing what games or what games are getting played as well as on the customer side, they'd be able to pick their games. Yeah. 
And, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, unfortunately I haven't been to enough board game cafes because around here, everything kind of sucks, but you know, I have been, to, you know, we have been to a few places where, you know, you go and you see all these things and you're like, um, what am I doing here? You know? And you can go and be like, you know, Jerry, what, what can I play? You know? And then maybe on a good day, they'd be able to, you know, tell you one or two things that are great. Maybe on a bad day. Uh, I can't really think right now. So I, I like that idea of, of having that streamline for people to kind of go in and, and do that too. And it also kind of eliminates, like, say you have a group of people that just, they're not willing to bug anybody about anything. You have something that's very easy that you're just kind of like, okay, we can go find our stuff. We can go do it and make, you know, make it less time to kind of go. Yeah. We have a lot of friends that have social anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so it was one of those things where it's also beneficial for them of like, you're saying they don't have to go talk to somebody to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea. I want it already because that's one of those things, especially, you know, some of the, even some of these smaller cons that we go to, you know, it's like you see this game library and you're like, I, I don't know what to pick. And even what you said, just with like box art and stuff like that, like we just played a game at a con called QE Mm-hmm. And um, it's one of those games when you look at the box it look, you, and you hear what it's about, you're like, this sounds like the most boring thing I've ever heard of. And we yeah. played it and we're like, this is the most ex- weirdest, funnest game we played in a long time. It is an amazing auction <laughs> game. I love it so much. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, you know, unfortunately not, not everybody is like, you know, CMON or whatever that has all this sure. good art and all these, you know, themes and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's good to have that kind of thing where it's like, you know, it can suggest something and, you know, maybe even some people would still look at that and be like, well, I don't know if I like that, but it's still, it gives them the option at least. Sure. Yeah. And there's a lot on the kind of tech platform side that we can do to even help them. Right. If, so I can envision a world where Bonanza never gets played because the box art doesn't look very good. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, with a tool like this, we can actually tell oh, Bonanza, we know to be a good game or we have data that it's played in other places, but it's not played here. Or we can mm-hmm. say across the board, it's not played as much as it should be yeah. and kind of intuit, is that because of box art or is it because that particular cafe's audience doesn't like that kind of game? Mm-hmm. And we've got a lot of tools for that sort of thing. Yeah, I, and I almost even like, you know, maybe if someone could even put like a thoughtful review on it or something like that too like i went to this place you know and i was i was expecting this and i got this you know but sometimes that can be also be very trapping too because you'll get somebody that'll be like this sucks whatever you know so you just you have to be kind of careful maybe that's something you can you know you can kind of look over and be like okay okay jeff you can't say that that's not a viable response you know so no i was gonna say yeah we've got we've got approaches to a lot of these different things just that uh yeah, and I, I like that, that you're interested in it too. A lot of the people that we talked to are super interested in it. The biggest challenge right now, hospitality industry is really risky mm-hmm. and it's really, really difficult work. And we think that this tool makes it easier for board game cafes and board game pubs, but I acknowledge that it feels ri- just as risky, right? To try a technology that they're not used to. And I I think it's still challenging and and I'd hate for board game cafes and board game pubs to disappear because it's too hard 
to do all of these things well at once. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to be able to provide tools because we really like what cafes and pubs can offer the public. Yeah, most definitely. Well, awesome. Well, it sounds like you, you guys have a lot on your plate. You've got a lot, a lot of work to do. I do not envy you one bit. Uh, <laughs> so if, if anybody wanted to keep track and kind of see how the process is going, how can they reach you? How can they follow you? So we're most active on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, our website has all of the information, but it's more just if you want to like know what our products that we're working on are, what games, what tech. We may have some fun merch being posted on there pretty soon <laughs> because he is a jack of all trades and <laughs> plays with everything. So. The website's fun, but not keep up to date kind of thing of on the go. But I do try to post most days to at least Twitter and Facebook or Instagram. It usually ends up being one or the other. Mm-hmm. And that's at Legacy of Play for all of them. Awesome. Yeah, Very cool. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you two, and I'm, I'm actually really excited about what's coming ahead, and I wish you the best. Thank, Thank you. you. This is great. Yeah. No problem. So that was Schoon and Jess of Legacy of Play. Make sure you follow them. Make sure you, you're active. Get on them. Just be like, hey, where's my, where's my game? Where's my, where's my hoverboard game? Sorry, I'm forgetting everything at the end. This is a terrible way to end it. But <laughs> no, like seriously, it, it sounds like a lot of fun, and we can't wait to see what's happening. So another great episode, another great interview. And just like this episode, we're going to have another one next week. So join us next week when we have another great guest. So until then, I'm Kurt, and this was the MFG Cast. Thanks for listening. Legends of Tabletop Podcast. Creating legends one die at a time.